Yeah, please take your seats, BCC. Great to see you this morning. How are we doing? Are we okay? Yeah? I'm going to open with a little bit of a story. Uh, since August last year, I've been uh, trying to increase my fitness a bit. And uh, I've been putting in, uh, once a week, along with some other things, I've been putting in a five-mile run. Okay? Yeah, don't all kind of cheer me on and give me encouragement, will you? No, no I'm joking. Okay. And um, I've called this five-mile run the triangle because the route is in the shape of a triangle once it's been recorded by my Strava running app. Hopefully, you can see that up there. So it kind of looks like a, like a triangle, and so that's why I've called it that. So what I do is I, I kind of live near Edgebaston Reservoir. I run up to the top, and then all the way up to Bearwood is one side of the triangle. Uh, and then I run kind of down Hagley Road in towards the center of town, if you imagine center of town's over there. Uh, and then I kind of turn left and go back on myself, and uh, the final side of the triangle uh, is kind of back towards the reservoir and to Gillette Road again. So I do that, and it's about five miles, and on that last side of the triangle, there's a large and very busy roundabout just there that kind of leads off onto the Ladywood Middleway there. It's one of those roundabouts that's so busy that they haven't just been contented with making a roundabout, they've had to cut a dual carriageway through the middle of it. You know those kinds of roundabouts? Uh, so, yeah, really, real mayhem. You know, it's just really, really busy all the time. And uh, it serves four major roads, and it's got lights on a sequence that I think you need a degree in physics to understand, uh, to let all the traffic f- through. Now, I've run the triangle 16 times now since last August. I'm very proud of myself. But I've never managed to get to my part of this roundabout with the lights in my favor. Never, ever managed it. What happens is I'm running along, I get to the lights, it's like, oh, there's all this traffic coming round. What I'll have to do is I'll have to trog down here, wait for all the traffic to go past, and then when it's clear, I can cross really quickly, and then I'll start run all the way back, and then, like, great, I can carry on. Done this 16 times. So this Friday morning, literally two days ago, and I kind of knew I was speaking about prayer, okay, I said, and I say I said, I kind of gasped because, you know, it is running after all. I said to God, as I got near uh, that roundabout over there, I got about half a mile to go. I kind of said to God, um, Lord, I'd really love it if you could kind of tie me in so that I can just run straight across. Rather than having to do the double back and then the round and the whole thing. Would Would you do that for me, God? I know it's only a tiny thing and I know you're very busy and, and, I, and I know all that stuff. But that would just be great. Because every time I've been to this junction, it's been mayhem. And I've run what feels like an extra mile, although it's not. So when I arrived there, (laughs) it could not have been timed more to perfection than it was. I was astounded. I arrived at the junction. The the last car turned left as I was kind of beginning to cross. He kind of went that way. I went straight across. And uh, all of this bank of traffic was waiting for me. Uh, the lights were fine. They were in my favor. I ran carried straight, on, straight on down the road, down Ignil Port Road. I actually laughed to myself. And then all the traffic shot off behind me when the lights changed. And I found myself wishing, you know what? I should have prayed about that a bit more. Why didn't I pray about that junction until now? Now, I pray about my running, of course. Like every time I go for a run, I say to God, listen, God, would you keep me free from accident, injury, or strain? Because I'm, well, I'm not as, quite as young as I used to be. Got to be a bit careful. So I pray that, 
I pray that God keeps me safe. I pray that, you know, that the run goes well. I pray that my fitness increases. But I hadn't remembered to pray about those little points along the journey that can be awkward. And I really wish I had done. But God indulged me on Friday. And it made me laugh. It really did. And I wanted to open with that story because we are in week two of a series on prayer. We're looking at prayer over this next few weeks or so. And Pastor Mark kicked us off last week. But I'm looking at some basics of prayer today. And uh, hopefully on your seats you should have a card. Uh, just wave one at me just so I can Yeah, you've got those. They've got a card. And on the back of the card you've got some bits that you can fill in with a pen. Okay, so please fill those in. And we'll go through those and you'll be signposted through my message when you need to fill bits in. But prayer is a huge subject. Prayer is enormous. If you do a search for prayer on amazon.co.uk, you get over 100,000 results back. Just the word prayer, just on its own. I don't know what Amazon is selling that has got involved with prayer to that degree, but I guess it's all books and things. If you look on Instagram and put in hashtag pray or hashtag prayer, you get 22 million results back. 22 million people have put that hashtag on Instagram. If you do a search in Google for the word prayer, you get about 938 million responses back from Google. That is not far short of one trillion items on the internet that get returned as a result of searching for prayer. That's a lot of stuff on prayer, is it not? So praying seems to be pretty big. And the truth is that God has made us to pray. He has made us to pray. Praying is in our DNA. It's part of how we've been wired It's part of spiritually what God has done to put us together. Everyone prays. Everyone prays. Um, Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. Jews pray. Christians pray. Secular people who say they don't have any faith sometimes find themselves praying when the pressure is on. Even atheists pray. If you uh, punch an atheist in the stomach, he's going to shout, Oh, God! He's not going to shout, oh me, is he? Prayer marks us out from animals. It's one of the distinctive markers of being a human being. Our ability to talk to God because animals do not pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. And because we're made in God's image, we want to talk to him. Even though we don't know what that want is sometimes, it's there because he's wired it into us. And he definitely wants to talk to us. God has put eternity inside us. He has. In Ecclesiastes, which is a book from the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. He's put that there for us. And that means that part of you is eternal. Part of you is always going to exist There's never going to be a time when you don't exist from this point forward. And that explains why you sometimes think, well, there must be more to life than than this. Because there is. There is more to life than this. Now, let's just be really honest. None of us 
are great at prayer. We're just not. Everyone on the planet feels inadequate about praying. It's just a truth. Very few of us are really confident prayers, and particularly publicly, in uh, praying publicly. I have never, I don't know about you, but I've never met a person who has said, I'm great at praying. And they were. Sometimes people have tried to say it, and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure you are. Um, I've never met a person who says, I'm an expert in prayer. Even the Apostle Paul, who went on to write half of the New Testament, said this. We don't even know what we should pray for or how we should pray. Jesus' disciples were not good at praying either. Uh, at the top of your handout there, Luke 11, verse 1, it says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about what that means. It means that all the time those disciples spent that time with him, they weren't thinking, um, oh, oh, Jesus, uh, teach us to do miracles. All that time they spent with him, they weren't thinking, oh, Jesus, how to, teach us how to preach like you preach. No, what they wanted to know was, teach us how to pray. Because they understood that that was where the source of Jesus' blessing and power came from because he spent time with his father. He spent time with Father God, and that's how Jesus was able to do the things that he could do. And so Paul doesn't know how to pray, and the disciples asked to be taught how to pray. And so we, all ourselves today, this morning, we're just kind of the same in feeling a little bit inadequate about prayer and needing some teaching on prayer. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about what prayer is. And, uh, you know, misconceptions and myths and, well, outright falsehood about what prayer is and what it's all about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the handout and we're going to look step by step. And uh, we'll start with our misconceptions. And that's the first thing for you to fill out on your handout. Our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions. Our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions. And for those of you who don't speak English in a f as your first language, misconception is a misunderstanding, that you're not getting it, that you don't understand, like there's a mistake going on in your mind about it. So the first misunderstanding, and there are four of them, and they're on your notes there, that prayer is not a magic wand. It's just not a magic wand. Uh, God is not some kind of genie in a bottle where you undo the stopper and out pops God saying, your wish is my command. God is not our servant. It's, in fact, it's round the other way. We are supposed to be God's servants, aren't we? So there's no magic formula or special words or a secret chant or like a clever format. We don't kind of wave something and then God suddenly does it. That's not kind of how prayer works. So it's not a magic wand. The second misunderstanding about prayer is that it's not a fire extinguisher. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we've all seen those things on the wall where like a little round window and it, you, you break it and then you can set the fire alarm off. Yeah. Well, a lot of people only pray when it, they think it's an emergency. When their backs are against the wall, we sang that earlier, but people can sometimes only pray when that's the case. As soon as a crisis comes along, they never pray the rest of the time, but as soon as something really difficult comes along, out comes the, the fire hose of prayer, and they start hitting it with prayer with all they've got. 
you know, oh no, my relationship's breaking up. And they go, shh, and they spray it with prayer. You know, my job, I'm about to lose my job. I'm going to douse it with prayer. I've just heard that one of my friends has got cancer. I'm just going to pray for that, and I'm going to douse it with prayer, and I'm going to really go for it. But the rest of the time, they haven't been praying. Now, of course, it is absolutely right for us to pray in difficulty. And sometimes it really is true that the only thing we can do is to pray. But it's a misunderstanding of prayer if we say that we only pray in emergencies. No, no, no. Prayer is not the last resort. It's the first choice. I want to just kind of emphasize that. It's not the last resort. It's the first thing you should do. So before you buy that car, say a little prayer. Before you take that job, pray. Before you go on a date, pray to God. Before you do a journey, pray. Before you eat, pray. Before your day, pray. Prayer is a before thing, not an emergency thing that you tackle with like a kind of fire extinguisher in the spiritual. The third misunderstanding about prayer is that it's not a tug of war. You know, a lot of people think that prayer is going to work if we just kind of wear God down by force. You keep on and on and on badgering him, thinking that you'll kind of somehow drags power, you'll drag power from God towards your power, and that you can kind of strength, you know, muscle him in on this, and you can kind of get him to do your thing just by being strong with him. We treat that, uh, we tr- you know, we treat God like that poem, Yes. Have you heard the poem, Yes? No, you're all a bit confused. The poem, Yes, goes like this. It goes, No. 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 Absolutely not. All right, then. That is the poem, yes. And what I'm trying to demonstrate with that is that you do, what we often do is we do a no, 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 and it builds up to something really big. And then deep down at the end, we kind of crumble. We We just give in, don't we? Okay. In tug-of-war praying, that is, somehow how, that is sometimes how we approach God. If we keep pressing and pressing and pressing, we think he's doing the poem yes on us. And if we keep pressing him and pressing him, eventually he'll go, oh, go on then. That's not how prayer works. God is not eventually going to come round to our strong tug-of-war position. Now, there's a difference in motivation between persisting in prayer, which is continuing to ask, and tug-of-war prayer, which is continuing to demand. Do you get the difference? Tug of war is constantly demanding. You're almost kind of bribing and begging and bargaining with God to get him to do what you want him to do. You can't bargain with God. Prayer is not a sales pitch that depends on your strength and your cleverness. So the fourth misunderstanding about prayer is that it's not to relieve guilt. This guy's sitting in prison there and he's kind of counting off the number of prayers he's done, hoping he's going to get out. Now, punishment, uh, sorry, prayer is not a punishment for sin. It's not a way of doing penance or a means of earning merit with God. That's not what it is. Prayer is is not a duty or a responsibility that somehow sort of relieves guilt when we've done it. You know, saying Hail Mary five times kind of is just not praying. Doing prayers a, a certain number of times is not in the Bible. It's just not there. Now, if you grew up and you were told that if you said prayers a certain number of times and that kind of meant that God then let you off the hook of what you did and forgave you, that's not true. Repetition. In fact, while we're on the subject of repetition, Jesus told us not to pray prayers in which we 
keep on saying the same thing over and over again. Matthew 6, 7 says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. No. Jesus, in the most influential sermon of all time, tells us clearly, do not use many words when praying when just a few will do. Uh, someone whose prayers I really admire is Pastor Mark's wife, Kathy. She has got her prayers down to a T. They are, they are like an art form of efficiency with words. There's nothing more in there. There's nothing less in there. She simply says what she's asking for from God, and then she says amen. She's a great prayer. If you ever get a chance to listen to Pastor, Mark, uh, Pastor Mark's wife, Kathy, praying, she is great at intercession and prayer and uh, a bit of a model for all of us. Now that we've kind of looked at what prayer isn't, and there are those four things that it's not on your handout, let's turn our attention to four truths about what prayer is. So the first thing for you to fill in in your handout, the first foundational truth about prayer is that God loves for me to talk to him. God loves for me to talk to him. You can write that in there. If you're interested in something, so is God along with you. Whatever interests you or is interesting to uh, whatever interests you is interesting to God and he loves to hear what you have to say to him about it. He is interested in your running route, and that you can get across with the lights in your favor. He is. And there's three reasons for that. First of all, God loves you. Did you know that, church? BCC, God absolutely loves you. He really, really does. You would not exist if God hadn't wanted to love you, and he would not have created you if he didn't want to love you. He loves you. And when you love someone, you're interested in what they're interested in. And God is very passionately and closely interested in your life. Have you noticed that about the friends that you really like and the people that you really love? You kind of sort of adopt their interests and their passions, don't you? Because they like it, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of sort of into it as well. You know, and that happens, doesn't it? God does that with you. Secondly, God actually gave you all the interests that you have on the inside of you anyway in the first place. You got them from God. Those hobbies that you love to do, those things that you really enjoy, that sport you follow on the TV so passionately, God wired those interests into you. And actually, he gave us all different blends of interests and likes and hobbies and stuff like that because he wants the whole world run and not all of us into everything. So God put that interest in you. And he already knows that you're interested in stuff, maybe more than you think he does. And before you know it, too. I would also wager that God knows the things you're going to be interested in in the future that you haven't discovered yet. How about this for something interesting? You might discover a passion for IT in your 90s. You're not looking at me very believingly here. Okay, so let me give you an illustration. Chloe's granddad when he was 101, asked me, no word of a lie, did I think Chrome browser was better than Firefox? 101. Now, come on, we've got to pick it up a bit here. God might put some interests into you that you don't know are coming yet because he knows you, because he formed you before the creation of the world. He understands who you are. The third reason God loves for you to talk to him is simply because we are his kids. 
Psalm uh, 103.13, in your handout there, it says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who reverence him. Now, the plain fact is that God is our heavenly father, and he just loves us. Now, for those of us who have children, obviously, you know, when they got born, we loved them, and we grew to love them, and so on. But the really, really special moment came when they said some of their first words. You know that moment when they say dada or mama or they say something or they're pointing and they kind of start to communicate with you? For me, that's when it gets really special. But kind of before that, they're really sweet and everything, but it's when they start to communicate that it starts to become really great. I just love it when my boys share something with me about their day from school or whatever's going on. So my middle son, Simon, uh, he texted me last week to say that he uh, had scored a fantastic goal in his hockey match against another school. And he texted me on the way home on the bus. He said, hey, Dad, I scored this really cool goal. I caught the goalie off his line and he dived, but the ball went in underneath before he could save it. Uh, And he was just so pleased to tell me. And I was like, get in. Come on, Simon. Well done. God longs for those times when you talk to him. Talk to him about the stuff that matters to you. Here's a suggestion for you. If you're not very confident in your praying, why don't you treat it a bit like how a child's relationship with a parent develops over time? You know how our our kids, they can bring us a drawing when they're three? And it's like, yeah, great. And then they bring us a drawing when it's six, and it's looking a bit better. And then then they, they bring us a drawing when they're 10 and when they're 15. And actually, their art's really improving. And you can see that it's getting better and better. And there's a difference in quality But actually, we love the heart behind which those pictures were made all the way through. That's the same heart underneath. We know that child, don't we? And it's identical with prayer. We might start out with very basic conversations in prayer to God, but they will develop over time. And God understands at any point in our life that our heart towards him is growing and developing. And he loves us for that. Uh, In your handout, uh, it says 1 John 5, 14, 15. It says this, we can be confident... In approaching God, knowing that he listens to us whenever we ask him for anything according to his will. And since we know that he hears us when we make our requests, then we can be sure that he will answer us. A couple of things just to say there to you. The confident and the sure lies with us at our end. And the hears and the listens lies with God at his end. I don't know if you've spotted that in that verse before. So here's the third thing for you to fill in on your handout. Prayer is a conversation, not a ceremony. Prayer is a conversation, not a ceremony. So a ceremony is something with rules and requirements and regulations and a set procedure, and you have to do it right, otherwise you get it wrong and you mess it up. You ever mess up a ceremony? It can be a bit embarrassing. You have to do it again. Or it just doesn't work. It doesn't do the thing it was supposed to do. We got any Japanese people in BCC today? Any Japanese people bold enough to put your hand up? Don't think we've got any Japanese people. That's a shame because I'm kind of hoping they would correct me on this later. However, in Japan, apparently they have a thing called a tea ceremony. And it takes like five hours. And you have to sit a certain way. And you have to turn a certain way. And you have to pour the tea a certain way. And all that stuff. I mean, I pour the tea in the kitchen. I just do this sometimes, you know, when Chloe's not there. I just see if I can get, you know, in the mug. But, you know, that, that's, that's me messing around. And apparently, if you don't get that right, you have to do it again on another day. That's a ceremony. 
Now, a conversation with God is not a ceremony. It's from relationship, and it's from the heart, and it's often in the moment. In a conversation, we talk to God. We tell him stuff using words. And we give him room to give us an answer back because that's how a conversation works. So when we're praying, a basic of prayer is that we have to train ourselves to listen out for his voice. It's great to learn to say as we're beginning to pray, is there anything you want to say to me today, Lord God? You know, sometimes when I'm on my run and I'm going out there, I I don't wear headphones on running because I like to have the space, obviously, to hear the traffic. Um, But also because I want to just give that time to God. And so sometimes, I mean, Gavin Calver said this when he came at first conference, it's really great to just say to God, God, would you speak to me today? And actually quite often God places in my spirit something that's a solution to something I've been asking him about while I'm kind of running. Here's the fourth thing for you to fill in on your handout. Prayer is a relationship, not a ritual. Prayer is a relationship, not a ritual. So just think about what that means for a minute. It's not a ceremony. It's not a ritual. If you imagine that text from Simon, my son, about the hockey, there's no ceremony in that. There's no ritual in that. He just wanted to share something with me because I'm his dad and he's my son and that's what you do. So share everything with your heavenly dad. It can be great. It can be rubbish. It can be something puzzling. It can be something delightful. Anything at all goes in prayer. Remember, prayer is a conversation with God. Things that you can include in prayer uh, with God would be things like, God, I had a really, really rubbish day at work today. Um, I remember, uh, this is a prayer. I, I remember once being on a motorway, stuck on a motorway, and I said to God, God, that is a really cool car. Can I have one of those? Now, he hasn't, he hasn't supplied that yet, but, you know, I think it was a Nissan Skyline GTR for you car freaks in here. Oh, my goodness, I'd love to have a go in one of those. But I told God I thought it was really cool. That's a prayer. Another prayer, God, please, would you just heal my mum? She is not well. God, that film was rubbish as you come out of the cinema. And I'm actually quite cross that I had to sit through it. God, would you please help me across this roundabout? Fair enough. God, thank you for this food and this meal. God, please, please, please help Nigeria do better than coming ninth in the next World Cup. Amen. Here's a clue to make sure that your prayers never turn into a ritual. If you yourself are bored by your own prayers, you need to change what you're praying about. It's become a ritual. Fair enough? Yeah? Don't bore yourself with your own prayers. That's the biggest sign that you've turned it into a ceremony or a ritual. The fifth thing for you to fill out on your handout, and it's the second foundational truth about prayer. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. Always pray what you feel like praying about not what you ought to pray about. That's quite, that's quite a big thing to say to people because it's not a very religious thing, is it? Religion is kind of duty and ought, whereas relationship is can and want. Be authentic, be real, be gutsy, be honest in your prayers. Keep it simple and sincere. Please don't start using language from 400 years ago. 
Why do we do that in prayer? O thou great potentate, maker of the firmament, bestow upon thy humble servant blessings manifold this day, I beseech thee. Am I touching a nerve? Yeah. God is listening to that and thinking, why are you speaking in English that was fashionable at the time of Shakespeare? And actually, God's not from England, and it's 2020. Avoid set prayers if you can, with the greatest of respect to the Anglican church. Please avoid them. Do we ever have a set conversation with friends in Costa? We get our books out. We say a certain thing. They say something in response. We say the other thing. We don't do that. Come on. That's not what it's about. And I understand liturgy. I understand the value of having a structure when you forget things to say. I'm, not, I'm being cheeky. But we don't tend to do set conversations, do we? One set prayer uh, that they used to say as grace in my primary school when I went to primary school, uh, way back in the dim and distant mists of the 70s, was this. And it used to make me smile, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It says, they used to, we used to have to say this. Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which we're about to receive from thy bounty. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Now, just an honesty moment here. Did anybody here else ever pray that prayer in school? One or two. Okay, so I'm not completely alone. All right, fine. So you know that that's a set prayer, okay? Now, this is, <laughs> this is what I would do, okay? I would always secretly think to myself afterwards, have you got a bounty, God? <laughs> you know, one of those chocolate bars with kind of tender coconut in the middle and coated in chocolate. And most of you are going, no thanks, I don't want that. And I'm going, yes, please. I'm the person that hoovers up all those bounties at Christmas time. You know, the, the ones that always get left? Anyway. And then I would say, after the prayer, I would say privately to God, can I have a bounty as well as my meal? I, I did. I absolutely did. <laughs> now, I've just said to you that you can't do set prayers, but here's how to say grace in McDonald's. Lord, thank you for inventing the sesame plant just so that I can have some sesame seeds on top of my Big Mac. Here's how to say grace in KFC. Lord, it was you who gave the colonel his secret recipe, wasn't it? Here's how to say grace in Nando's. Lord, I've never really understood up until this moment why you made the chicken. It's not a confident bird. It can't fly. It has weird red wobbly bits all about its face. But sitting here now in Nando's, I finally understand that you always had a bigger plan. <laughs> Please do grab those prayers off my social media and share them if you like. I am at RevNJW. There we go. God always prefers honest and real over false and religious. Always. What about the complete opposite of humorous chat with God in Nando's? God, I am so angry with you about that right now. I can't even say anything to you about it. That's a real prayer. God, I don't get it. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, and it still hasn't happened. What are you doing? That's a real prayer. God, I've got literally nothing in the cupboard to eat today. Please, please, please give me some food to eat. That's a real prayer. 
And it's a great thing that BCC can be an answer to that prayer for some people in our city through our food bank. Did you know that of 150 Psalms that there are in the Bible, 50 of them are moaning? 50 of them are complaining to God. Now, the technical scholarly term is lament. But what a lament really is, is is complaining and moaning to God and being real with him. And by the way, longer prayers are not stronger prayers. They're not. So say what you mean and mean what you say using words that you normally use when you're praying. Never use prayer to show off or tell a story. Instead, be sincere yourself and sure of God himself. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners being seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Hebrews 10.22 says this, it says this there in your notes. Let us come near to God with a sincere heart, and a sure faith. Now, a sincere heart means there's no gap between what you're feeling and the words you're speaking to God. That's sincerity. A sure faith is that we've got the same confidence when we speak to God as we would do when we're asking our own mum and dad for something. So the first foundation for prayer is God loves me, loves for me to talk with him. And the second foundation for prayer is this. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. The third foundational truth about prayer, and this is for you to fill in your handout. It's at the top right of your pieces of card there. God likes to show his goodness by answering prayer. God likes to show his goodness by answering prayer. You know, God is a good God. He's a good, good father. And he's a gracious father. And he's compassionate and kind and loving. He wants us to win. He wants us to do well. He loves to answer prayer because he gets to reveal who he really is and what he's really like. I never knew this, but in the, in the New Testament, it, we are commanded to ask over 20 times. I did not know that before I did the prep for this message. And I was quite amazed by that, that we would be commanded even by Jesus and by the writers in the New Testament to ask. Ask and it will be given to you, says Jesus. Seek and you will find. Even when the answer is no or not yet, God always hears our prayers. Always. And God is good all the time. And so sometimes we have a balancing act between God hasn't answered my prayer and yet God is good all the time. How does that work? Well, let's go down the the kind of parent-child approach just to explain that a bit. Is there any parent in the world who gives their child everything the moment that that child asks for it? No, there isn't. And in fact, very often, no is a deep kindness to people. It's a deep kindness to kids sometimes. You know, there's dozens and dozens of reasons why parents don't say yes to every request. One of which is simply that that child is going to end up incredibly spoiled. You know, sometimes we hope that we can kind of get a prayer into God, a bit like going to the vending machine and putting the coin in. And we get a prayer that just, we say that prayer and then we get an answer out straight away. That's our secret hope. But actually, as we all know from having used vending machines lots of times, sometimes instant doesn't necessarily mean quality, does it? And there are dozens and dozens of reasons why God, too, doesn't say yes to everything you ask for. You may not always understand why he doesn't give you what you ask for, 
but you're not God, and he is, and he can see. But I, I've put five reasons up on the screen why God sometimes says no to our requests. You might want to take a snap of that on your phone, and it can be helpful for you. Five reasons why God might say no. The first one, protection. Would a loving parent say yes to their five-year-old child asking to play with some razor blades? Well, no, of course not. We can see that that's dangerous, even if that child can't. So it's protection. Number two, direction. Would a loving parent say yes to their 15-year-old daughter uh, wanting to go to a rave venue known for its drug culture by herself in a miniskirt? No. Of course not. We want to direct our kids into things that will bless them and protect them and not expose them. Number three, correction. Would a loving parent allow their two-year-old to carry on slapping other toddlers in the creche? <laughs> Which I've actually seen as a kid's worker before. I've had to have a chat with the parent and say, mm, okay, that's not going to be the greatest way to make friends. Don't do that. Number four, perfection. Would a loving parent always let their 10-year-old determine their own menu at all meals? Well, of course not. We're working on their character to grow into choosing how to eat healthily and sensibly. And number five, inspection. Would a loving parent always let their 16-year-old have completely, a, a completely unaccountable life on social media? No, of course not. We want to teach our kids that kind of God can see what we're up to. God's job is to work on your character, not your comfort. And it's just like every parent's job is, is to turn out decent human beings. You know, we want to, as parents, we want to bring up kids that are polite and helpful. Uh, they're decent. They can work hard. They can tell the truth. They can respect authority and they can put something in. That's our job. And, and that's no different with, with God's job with us. So sometimes when we ask him for things in prayer, do you know what? He's going to say no, because he can see the big picture, and we can't. Balanced with that, however, is that you do need to pray. You do need to keep asking him for things. You need to keep on trying in prayer. And when you don't pray, you miss out on a lot of things in life. I actually think that when we get to heaven, there's going to be like a list of a few of the things that we could have had had we requested them in prayer. And so sometimes a nice prayer to pray is, God, would you just show me by the Spirit what I should be praying for? Because then you don't miss them. And then God will put those on your spirit, and then you'll pray for them, and then they'll come to you. James 4.2 says this, and it's in your notes there. You do not have because you do not ask God. So make it a habit to ask God for what you want and for what you need, and then balance that with the fact that God is good all the time, and sometimes you're not going to get it straight away, but, and, and sometimes he may say no because he can see that that's not the best thing for you. But keep asking. That's fine. I want to share a little story with you. Uh, back in October 2000, uh, Chloe and I decided to do a trek uh, along the Great Wall of China. Uh, and the purpose was to raise funds for a cancer research campaign. Uh, as it was. And so we paid for our trip costs and we uh, set about raising some sponsorship. Now, when the time for the adventure came, I took a digital camera with me, which back in 2000 was quite a new thing. And I took, uh, I ran about 400 photographs on this digital camera. Uh, and uh, I was able to send a little update once every two or three days to people back in the UK via email. And I was able to put some little pictures in and keep people up to date with what we were doing. 
So we did the trek. It was great fun. We raised lots of money, all the rest of it. And then we kind of forgot about it. And I, I kind of put the pictures on a CD. And then I, uh, I actually said, uh, before, before we kind of moved on, sorry, I should say that I actually put a, a CD together of all the pictures. And I gave them to all the different people on the trek who wanted a copy of the CD. And then, and then we kind of moved on and left it. About eight years later, we'd moved house a couple of times. And I realized at that point, you know when you're moving house and you're going through things and you can't, can't quite find something? I realized that I'd lost my copy of the CD with the pictures on it. And so I contacted lots of different people. We'd fallen out of touch with the people who'd actually gone on the trek with us, but I contacted friends. I, I asked Chloe's mum and dad if they'd got a copy. I asked my mum and dad. I asked different people that I'd lent CD to, but none of them had it anymore. I even contacted Cancer Research themselves and said, have you got this CD? And I gave them the date we went on the trek, and they sent me a CD, but unfortunately it was the trek from two weeks later than our one. I was like, oh, because I was so excited. I got it in the post, opened it up, put it in the CD drive. I was like, oh, no. Whole bunch of people I don't know. I'm they had a great time, I'm sure, but it wasn't the one I wanted. That's really gutting, isn't it? So I was like pretty disappointed. I looked everywhere for it. I looked on all my data backups. I hunted and hunted and hunted. And I, I really wanted the CD because it had loads of pictures on it, which I wanted to show our boys from a time before they existed, before they were born. And so I hunted and hunted and hunted and never, never found it. And then Every three or four years, I would kind of go through all my stuff. And I might find a CD that I'd not checked before or a DVD that I'd backed up something to. And I'd check it, hopefully, and then it wouldn't be there. So on the 20th of February last year, 2019, I was going through some stuff again. I was clearing out a room, ready to decorate it. And, and I was hoping against hope that the pictures might turn up. And then I experienced this strange kind of prompting to pray about it. And I, had to, I have to admit, I've never prayed about finding the pictures ever. And I was actually quite grumpy about the fact that I'd missed such an obvious thing to do. I'd never, ever prayed to God, God, would you help me find these pictures? I'd never done it. It never occurred to me. How many of us have done that? We just not, we'd forgotten to pray about something. And I, I did that. And I'm like, oh, dear. And I was actually quite grumpy about it. And I kind of growled out this prayer to God. I sort of said, uh, God, it'd be great to get a copy of these pictures back on CD again. I really was quite cross about it. I was on my own in the house, and I was, you know, I was behind in my tidying and everything like that, and I was pretty angry about it. And I said, it'd be great if I could have these back. It wasn't a ceremony or a ritual prayer. I'm telling you now, it was pretty rude, actually. But anyway, I said it. That was on the 19th of Feb. A few days later, and it was actually on my birthday, because I was born on the well, 29th of Feb this year, 28th of Feb last year. That's another sermon, Okay. <laughs> Just saying, you know, if you want to get me a card, that's fine. Um, I got a message from this lady called Jenny, out of the blue. And you know how Facebook works. If you get a message from someone you're not friends with, you have to kind of accept it, don't you? You have to go, well, what's this? You know, you don't know what's coming your way. It's a bit scary, isn't it? But anyway, she sent me this message, and I clicked yes to receive it. And then I opened it up, and she was getting in touch with me to ask if she could, use, she could have my permission to use one of the photos I'd taken of her from that trek kind of 19 years before because she was writing an article for the Mail on Sunday. And it was about the fact that she'd been clear of cancer for 40 years. And I was like, yeah, of course, Jenny, that's fine. You know, go right ahead. That's brilliant. I didn't put two and two together at all about this prayer that I'd been praying. Um, and uh, then, then something started to dawn on me. When she asked me in the message 
the, 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 the photo to use, I recognized the file name of the photo. Okay, so welcome to weird IT Whitam world, okay? This is in my head, I'm going, I recognize how I've named that. That's, that is one of my photos, yeah, that's fine. And then suddenly, turn to make four, and I'm like, hey, you've got my CD. So I, I sent her this message back saying, have you, I don't suppose you've got my CD, have you, of my photos? And she messages me back and she says, yes, I have. And I'm like, wow. And so I, I sent her another message saying, oh, you'd bless me so much if you wouldn't mind posting me that. I'll pay for the postage. I'll do whatever you need. I'd love to see a copy of those. We've lost ours, and I haven't been able to find it and look at it for 19 years. And she said, yes, of course. And uh, she posted them to me, and I copied them all onto my disk. And actually, some of those photos are there today. Look, back when I had hair. <laughs> or some hair. Some hair, I should say. <laughs> I'm still working on the stomach. There we go. <laughs> so that's me and Chloe trekking along the Great Wall of China. That was an awesome, awesome thing. I have to say to you, after leaving it 19 years and then praying and then getting a message out of the blue eight days later on my birthday with the photos in, what are the odds of that other than God listening and going, do you know what, I'm going to bless you, my son? That's a nice thing, isn't it? And all glory to God for bothering with me with that. So the first foundation for prayer is God loves for me to talk with him. The second foundation for prayer is God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. The third foundation for prayer is God likes to show his goodness by answering prayer. And the fourth and final foundational truth about prayer on your sheet, God longs to be close to me. God longs to be close to me. We were not put on the planet to tick off a bucket list, clear the mortgage, and die. Although those are great things. They have their place, of course. We were put on the planet to be loved by God strongly, to love him back strongly, and to be fashioned in our character to become like Jesus, more and more like his son, Jesus. I'm just going to ask the worship team if you guys would just come and join me, if that's okay. Uh, that would be great. Would you stand with me, please? We're coming to, to the end. And I've got one more story to share with you about how God wants to be close to us. In 2003, I went on another trek, this time on my own. Uh, Chloe had, we, was looking after George, and she very graciously released me to do, go and do one more trek. And I went on a 10-day trek to Patagonia, which is in southern Chile. And I wanted to go and see these mountains in this national park which is called the Torres del Paine National Park in the very southern tip of Chile. And so what happened was I got on the train, I went down to London, and then I got, a, got to Heathrow, and then I got a short-haul flight from Heathrow to Amsterdam. And then I went from Amsterdam, a long-haul flight to Santiago, the capital of Chile. And then I took an internal flight after that all the way down Chile. You know Chile's like a really long, thin country. I went down all the way down to the very deep south of Chile to a town called Puntas Arenas, and then from there, we transferred into a minibus, and we did a nine-hour journey in this minibus through the back of beyond. And we arrived in the Torres del Paine National Park. And it was dark. I couldn't see this wonderful set of mountains in the background. And as I bedded down in my sleeping bag on that very first night in pitch dark, and it was raining, I suddenly had an incredibly strong kind of rush of homesickness. It was awful. I felt really wrenched in my heart. It was like a sore knot 
I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling of when you're separated from somebody and you just think, oh, I just really wanted to be home. I really, really wanted to be with Chloe and George. I did. And I, and I, I retraced all the steps I'd gone through to come on this trek and all the different legs of the journey. In fact, I've got a funny feeling it was the eve of one of the Gulf Wars that they had. And I was like, what happens if it's World War III and I can't get home? And, you know, I just, I was sitting in there in my tent and I didn't quite cry, but I came really close to it. I don't often cry, but I was like, oh, this is awful. And all I wanted to do in that moment was to be back with the people I love the most. Now, I don't want to guilt trip you at all, but you need to know that God feels that way when you don't pray to him. He misses you. It's a wrench in his heart. It hurts him. It actually hurts in his emotions. He misses you. If you don't speak to him, he misses you. He, he just wants to be close to you because he loves you so much. Don't hold out on him. Pray to him. Talk to him. Tell him about your day. One very last thing before we sing, just to write on your cards, and I'm sorry you're all standing, you're going to have to pick this up and write it. The very last thing to write on your sheet. The closer I am to God, the less stressed and more blessed I'll be. Very last thing. The closer I am to God, the less stressed and more blessed I will be. We're going to sing, and then we're going to respond to the message. Luca, Sheila, thank you so much. It is fear.